1997, a 34-year-old school teacher named Mary Kay Letourneau was arrested for having a sexual relationship with her 12-year-old male student. Mary Kay claimed that the pair were deeply in love, but the judge on her case, and the world at large, didn't see it that way. This real-life tabloid story has inspired Todd Haynes' latest film, May-December, which follows Gracie, Julianne Moore, and her husband, Joe, Charles Melton, whose relationship began as a shocking underage affair. 20 years later, they lead a seemingly picturesque suburban life. But that's disrupted when a famous actress, Elizabeth, played by Natalie Portman, arrives in their tight-knit community to research her upcoming role as Gracie. Today, we'll dig into the making of this incredible film by hearing from writer Sammy Birch, director Todd Haynes, producer Christine Vachon, producer and actor Natalie Portman, along with actors Julianne Moore and Charles Melton. Believe it or not, this is Sammy's first feature screenplay, and we'll start by hearing from her. I always knew I wanted to set it in the present, like after the this, the main event, the tabloid event had happened. And that, that just seemed like a way to bring some humor, maybe some of it more satirical, into the story kind of bringing in this Hollywood machine. And then of course it becomes so much about that and like about the way that we process these traumatic, true crime events and feel the need to recreate them over and over. When Natalie Portman read Sammy's script for Mountain A, her production company, she immediately thought of Todd Haynes, who has been weaving questions about identity, gender, and societal norms into his films since the 1980s, including Poison, Safe, Far From Heaven, and Carol. First of all, I had dreamed of working with Todd on, you know, for so long that I had sent him other projects before because I think he could make any script, you know, brilliant. I think he can he can do that. But then when I actually got this this incredibly, you know, subtle and poignant writing from Sammy Birch, I thought, wow, this deals with so many of the issues he returns to again and again, like identity and performance and complicated internal lives of women and kind of the rotten core of American suburbia and like American kind of uh, conventional family life. And when I sent it to him and he took to it, it was just magical. The very structure of how Sammy Birch structured it meant that we were going to be peeling back layers and asking questions and that we would, and that you sort of initially think that the Natalie Portman character, Elizabeth Barry, is going to be our reliable mm. person from the world outside who penetrates this little town. But all everything that you, you might presume is, is stable positions that you might take as you as you, your feelings about these characters who you trust who you might project some moral judgment onto all of those things start are are constantly destabilized as you read it and i just love that about her her mission as a writer and how subtly and confidently it, it took incredible confidence by a young writer to to keep to that natalie was in australia and she was working 
so I was like, when things come back up and I had another project that I was planning to do next, I said, this is really exciting to me. And, and, and particularly exciting was starting to talk to her about it and really get in deep with Natalie. The script also made a major impression on Killer Films producer Christine Vachon, who met Todd at Brown University in the 80s and has since gone on to produce every single one of his films. When May-December came, we really recognized the script's originality, how tonally effective it was. Um, it just, we just thought, this is something else. And we were really amazed that Sammy Birch, the writer, that it was her first script. So uh, we showed it to him and he responded, you know, Natalie Portman was already attached, um, which I'm sure, you know, certainly at least he was then able to visualize her as, you know, as that character. And the first thing he said, you know, he called, he was like, oh, my God, it's amazing. I bet Julianne would do this. Talking to Natalie made me think about Julianne more and the way she loves to enter into these places of inscrutability in the depictions of women and in care and in stories in general and how she does not want to put the viewer at ease, you know, like how you ignite a viewer's thinking and questioning like that is the that is opening up something that's incredibly potent and special. And a lot of movies sort of shut that down, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I could not think of Julianne. And so very quickly. And so also what script comes where there's two lead women and one's hovering around 60 and one's 36 years old. And you're like, holy shit, this is like, for me, this is a dream. So I could, <laughs> I could have these two ages of women be up front and center in this, in this story. I wanted to go to her and Natalie was like, oh my God, you think she, you think she'd do it? She is really just the person I so most admire and, and study, you know, like I watch her work over and over and over again to learn from it. And so when Todd said he had slipped it to her and that she was interested in playing Gracie, I like blacked out, <laughs> basically just, you know, completely didn't believe my luck. Julianne Moore and Todd's long-running creative relationship started when he cast her in his 1995 film, safe. Since then, she starred in three more of his films, making May-December their fifth collaboration. May-December was another one of those jobs that kind of came out of the blue. I mean, he really, it was just another one of those emails where he said, hey, um, hey, Julie, you know, Natalie sent me this script and I wanted to slip it to you to see what you thought. And I, and I read it and I loved it. And I was like, are you going to direct this? I just wanted to make sure that he was going to direct it. You know, and he was like, yep, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. With Julianne taking on the role of Gracie and Natalie attached to play Elizabeth, there was just one piece of the puzzle missing. Gracie's young husband, Joe, who for writer Sammy anchored much of the script. Well, everything really started with Joe, with Joe's character, and then everything else kind of built out from there because he really is the heart of the story and like the heartbreak of the story. I think he he's really ultimately like a caretaker. I think, you know, he, he, seems, he seems like a really good father and 
the butterflies and his sister and, you know, how he's kind of been trained to take care of Gracie. The deeper we delved into the story, into the script, into what was at play, it kind of became clearer and clearer that so much of the movie rests on Joe's shoulders and getting an actor who could, you know, walk that line. That was really a trick. Our casting director, Laura Rosenthal, had enormous confidence in Charles. That's Charles Melton, the 32-year-old actor who got his big break on the teen drama series Riverdale six years ago. Joe needed to be an attractive man, you know, in his 30s, later 30s. No question. And someone that you liked and you could sort of imagine a backstory, although I took me a little time to sort of be able to fill that in for myself. But I didn't I didn't picture somebody quite as sort of hunky and and model model modelly beautiful as as Charles. And so when we first saw his picture, we were like, oh, okay, well, this probably won't work, but let's hear what he did with it. But what Charles did in his reading, completely undirected by me at this stage, just what he, his his first instincts, was unlike any other actor that we read. And there was something very locked up and very simple and restrained about, about his reading. And, it, and all of a sudden it was like, I, we, I just kept watching it and watching it again and again. And, and, and it informed me, this is always what happens when you make a movie and you want it, you always want it to happen to the utmost degree within the parameters of decisions that you feel you've made. But I felt like I was learning about the story through what he brought to it. It filled in the backstory for me. All of a sudden, the entirety and the viability of this, of this just challenging and, and relationship became visible. And so he accomplished so much before we even ever met, you know, in that regard. Charles felt an immediate connection to Joe and was ready to dive headfirst into the audition process. I remember cutting a trip short by three days so I could fly back to L.A. and just focus on self-taping. And I ended up spending six hours the day before I had to send him my self-tape before I got notes from the Todd Haynes and then send in another tape. And then the, ne- the next thing I knew, I was flying out to do a chemistry read with Todd and Julie in Laura Rosenthal's uh, casting office. When I first met Julie, it was for a chemistry read. Laura Rosenthal was there. Todd Haynes was there. Julian Warren was there. And I heard them talking about the first scene. And I was behind the door in my Joe outfit and everything. And I remember my heart beating out of my chest. And it was like the the hue, the yellow light was seeping through the creaks of the door. And I was like, is this it? Am I about to go to heaven? And I walked through the door and um, completely blacked out, saw Julie, she was wearing all white. She was, she's an absolute angel, just incredible human. When Charles walked in, I was like, oh my God, he's perfect, absolutely perfect. And we started reading and he had a simplicity, you know, to, to, to his work and to his, his self, but also a mystery and an opacity. 
He was so receptive to everything I was doing, like so present for me as a character of Gracie. I was like, wow, this is really something. It was absolutely perfect. And immediately we started talking and I was like, you know, I, I, I was born in Juneau, Alaska. And she was like, I lived in Juneau, Alaska. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm an army brat. And I lived in Germany. She was like, I'm an army brat. I lived in Germany. So that was that immediate connection when we first met, which was pretty incredible, that I think just helped kind of inform everything, really, maybe. And that was really lovely. And that sparked a real camaraderie between the two of them. They're both army brats. They shared a lot of interesting, similar histories together. She loved him, you know, and, and this is a guy who just is coming up against you know, these actors who have been doing this work for their entire career for so many years now. And he's really, this is a real new kind of film for him, new mm -hmm. kind of project for him. But he's so grounded, he's so honest, he's so available and open as a man. At the same time, I think he was really, truly thinking about issues with his own upbringing and family life and drawing very, very specific knowledge from his own life for this character. With no rehearsal time and the shoot quickly approaching, all of the actors had to work efficiently to find their characters. As part of this process, Charles and Todd had long dinners to discuss Joe's internal dialogue and motivations. In addition to establishing an emotional understanding of his character, Charles also needed to undergo a physical transformation, gaining substantial weight to sell Joe's suburban dad look. Todd and I, we talked about never what Joe would look like, always what he would feel like. So that kind of, you know, when would Joe have the time to work out and go like watch football or anything like that? Probably never. He has three kids, he's a provider, he's taking care of his monarch butterflies. So the diet, I didn't really count calories. It wasn't like a super regimented thing. I just found comfort in food. And I really enjoyed that comfort. I ate Five Guys pizza, ice cream. I really, uh, it wasn't like I was force feeding myself. I was just really eating whatever I wanted. For Julianne, honing in on Gracie required a full character study. You know, in the script, she seemed very commanding. You know, she's very much like, you do this, you do that. You're, you know, I'm in, in control of everything. And it wasn't jiving with, with who I thought Gracie was. And I, I started thinking about that and I was like, she talks a lot about this great love story that they had, how they fell in love. And he was really, he was really her prince. He really rescued her. She was the princess. So I was like, aha, uh -huh, okay. So she's not the queen, right? She's not a queen. She's a princess. She's remained a princess. And in order for her to have this great romance with a 13 year old boy, she has to elevate him to manhood just to make it work culturally. So it's like, you know, he was the more advanced. She said he was the more responsible. She was always very fragile. She was always very protected. And that kind of continues. So that's that's her narrative that he's the man of the house and she's just a child. So then I went, oh, yeah. So she is she is not just she's she's not a grown up. She's a little girl. She's a little girl with an apron on and a wooden spoon in her hand saying, I can tell you what to do. I'm the mom. And I thought, wow, how, you know, this, the stress of, of and the energy it takes to maintain that narrative and to send it out into the world day after day after day, when the reality of what happened 20 years ago is, is something quite different, that she was not a little girl, she was a grown woman. 
right? And that's where the tension is and that emotional volatility between that story. And once again, she's also very hyper feminine, you know, this in this princess narrative, Gracie is someone who's kind of swallowed feminine culture whole. She believes in it. She's been inculcated in it and keeps communicating that to everybody, you know, to her daughters about how to behave, the thing about how to dress. And, you know, you try going through life without a scale, see how that goes, all of that stuff, you know, that is, that's, that's her, her world. In addition to the hyper-feminine mannerisms Julianne developed for Gracie, she also wanted to create a vocal component that Natalie could play off of and imitate. Because Natalie comes in and she has to start assuming my mannerisms and, and kind of physically become me, I needed as an actor to offer her some mannerisms to copy. So it's like that's something that, that technically as an actor is important to do and to think about. And it's fun to think about because, you know, film is a collective. You're all kind of adding different parts to it. I mean, I really feel so much like we created something together. It really feels like we worked in lockstep. The other thing that was just lucky is how brilliant Julianne is, obviously, and then how generous she is because she was very conscious of what I needed to do when she was creating her character. So she was making choices for Gracie, but she made sure that she chose things that were right for her character that also could be really identifiable traits that I could mimic, like the lisp, for example or like the very feminine hand gestures so that there were concrete things I could latch onto that the audience would recognize as well. And, you know, she didn't have to do that. She could have played her very kind of like with a regular voice and with <laughs> regular gestures. And I could have uh, been really stuck, but she was extremely generous in her characterization. And traditionally we think of lisps as being something that they're childlike you know often kids do have them and then they grow out of them but in this case this is something that stayed you know that stayed with her and it does it lends her a childish air and it's also something concrete for Natalie to do you know so it was when I was looking at it and thinking about it working on the script I called Todd up and I was like this is something I'm thinking of doing how do you feel about that you know and he was like okay I mean and we both had some trepidation about it because it's you know, you don't want it to be too big or whatever. We were, I mean, we were really specific with the lisp, too. May-December filmed in Tybee, a beach community about 30 minutes outside of Savannah, Georgia. As producer Christine notes, the shoot lasted just 23 days, requiring incredible focus from the entire cast and crew. Because we had such a limited schedule, we just had to be incredibly economical and efficient and, you know, when you're working with a director like Todd, you can be because he's like, I'm going to use this. I won't use that. I need this shot, this shot, this shot. I don't need that shot. If we could get that shot. It would be great. If we can't, I'm not going to cry. It allowed us that kind of efficiency. And look, there were some curveballs thrown at us like there was a hurricane in the middle of the shoot. But we, we figured it out. And it was it was really a pleasant experience. We kind of came under the umbrella of Todd and just trusted him. And I think our trust in him allowed us to completely open up and just collaborate. And Julie and Natalie, I mean, masters at their craft, icons, legends. I I just felt elevated just by being around them. And they were so encouraging and uplifting. And we would do these dinners together a few days leading up to filming. and. 
and we would spend our weekends with each other and with the crew having dinners just like really getting to know each other on a human level and you know talking a little bit about the script but when we came to set Todd just you know Julie I've heard Julie say this a few times he does all the work for you so when you come into this world it's just like oh you can just exist and when you have the scene partners and Natalie Portman and Julian Moore you're like I don't really have to think about what they're doing. I just need to focus on what I'm doing and just trust in Todd. The first day we filmed the x-ray scene where Elizabeth visits Joe at work. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you think it'll help? Yeah, I, I already have an idea of what it must have felt like. What, what felt like? I was sneaking around with you. I probably shouldn't have said that. You won't tell anyone, will you? No worries. I was so nervous. I felt so encouraged and taken care of with Todd and Natalie there on my first day. Charles is just extraordinary. I mean, he's such a good actor. He's such a serious actor. He is so focused, so prepared, works so hard, and is also really kind and fun to be around on set. And also, I mean, I know I was intimidated coming into that room. Like he came in with his own feelings that he can describe himself, but what he showed us was great confidence and great sureness about the character and who the character was. It was very clear right away. When stepping into Elizabeth's character, Natalie was able to use the film's shooting schedule to her advantage. We did not have rehearsal time, which is kind of insane for the schedule that we had. And it was very scary to know that I had to, you know, kind of slowly morph into her character without knowing what she was going to do. Like, I just saw what she did on day one. But luckily, we were shooting relatively chronologically, which Todd insisted upon, thank God, so that I could in real time observe and learn what she was doing, which luckily is also what my character is doing. So it made sense that in those scenes where early scenes like the barbecue or the dress shop where Elizabeth is learning Gracie that I could be studying Julianne in the scene work. In one of the film's most impactful scenes, Elizabeth studies the way Gracie applies her makeup. Captured in a single shot, it's a moment that oozes with tension and complexity despite the subtlety of its dialogue. Here, Todd, Natalie, and Julianne share the thinking behind that scene and what it was like to actually film it. Making May-December, because we had such limited time and because I did plan from the beginning and it, it almost made it the only way for us to achieve this film in the number of days that we had. It was both, a, it, was, it was definitely an aesthetic choice but it ultimately became a practical choice, was to play so many of these scenes in single shot setups. And that that was one of them. It was just a static single frame, medium shot that held the two women. And this is the blush that I like. And I use use a sponge to put it on. And here's my favorite, the color. Looks like that. Um... And I'll just put a little bit of this on. You know, I think that it would be better if I just did this to you. 
So we set up this idea that the mirror, the camera would be the mirror in scenes where, where a mirror played. And you would be able to watch the two women looking at themselves into the lens, but then looking off lens at the other. So they were, we were watching them see themselves and modeling themselves on the other in real time back and forth, but with the absolute elegance of never seeing the mirror itself and just being the mirror. But these scenes mark through, go through the film as a sort of progression. And uh, this one is, is a particular turning point where the wills of these two women and the ways in which they ultimately you find ways that they reflect each other um, as, as people and as, as, as very strong-willed women in the world, you know, despite how incredibly different their lives are and their backgrounds are and their occupations are and so forth. And you're watching the sort of nuances of that interplay and the things about the other that they see in themselves and the things about the other that they don't refuse to see in themselves. All this stuff gets played out in this sort of relay in which we occupy this very intimate place as the viewer through the, through the mirror itself. So did you always want to be an actress? Always. I wanted to be on Broadway. And when I told my parents I was nine or ten, they were so disappointed. They said, honey, you're so much smarter than that. What did you say? Are you smarter than that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that scene is really, I think, so beautiful because both of them are somehow trapped in in their performance of womanhood and what is more performative, what is more like emblematic of performance than, you know, makeup application. I love doing that scene. First of all, I love Natalie. I could not ask for a better partner. I really adore her. She's someone whose work I've always admired. I wrote her an email after Black Swan just to say I thought she was tremendous in it. And then we knew each other a little bit socially, you know, just from around. So I was excited. I was so excited to work with someone that I admired, but I had no idea what she was going to be like. And it turns out she is terrific. I mean, she is just very, very easy to be with. Our, our processes are very similar. We're really serious about the work, but not serious about ourselves. I think we bonded quickly and we worked together very well, you know? So so by the time we got to the, I mean, I only worked 15 days on this, if you can imagine, out of the 23. We were doing the, the mirror scene. We'd already established a really great rapport. I was really lucky to have a partner like that, that I felt I could trust so completely. You know, I felt very intimidated before we started, especially because she and Todd had had all of these collaborations that were films that I lived for and admired so much and thought, uh-oh, I'm like the interloper coming into this club. And immediately they both made me feel so comfortable and at ease and loved and accepted and part of the club, you know? Um, and it just made, me feel safe to try anything, you know, and not only was I safe, but I also had a partner in Julianne who I could throw anything at her and she'd throw it right back and she would 
throw things at me that were gems, you know, for me to throw back to her too. So it was really fun to push each other and play in the scenes. I remember there was an issue with Natalie's wig. They wanted to get like, you know, her wig out of her face and they couldn't tie it back into a ponytail. And I said, I'll just do this. And I reached up and I brushed her hair back from her face and off her shoulders. And it's a very seductive gesture. You know, it's really intimate because you realize they are, they are seducing each other, but they're not seducing each other for any sexual purpose. But it's like when you are in a power struggle, seduction is also one of the tools, you know, that you use to win. And, you know, Gracie is very, very anxious that her story be told the way she wants it told. I wonder if any of this will have really mattered for your movie. I think it will. You understand me? I do. I hope you didn't think that disgusting brother thing was real. What? Disgusting. I don't know what he's doing telling you these things. He told you? I talk to Georgie every day. Insecure people are very dangerous, aren't they? I'm secure. Make sure you put that in there. After wrapping production and taking time to process the experience of May-December, it's clear that this film had a significant impact on each of its contributors. Here are Charles, Julianne, and Sammy with a few final thoughts. I feel a lot of gratitude and just so grateful for those 23 days that I filmed in Savannah, Georgia with Todd, Julie, Natalie, everyone on our crew all the people that I met, like that was the gift. And to experience that, I remember telling my sister after we wrapped filming May, December, a little over a year ago, I was like, "This, these are the kinds of projects I wanna do. I just wanna like just dive deep and just stretch, go to places with a director like Todd Haynes, hopefully Todd Haynes. <laughs> And uh, so I'm just, there's, there's a lot of gratitude with everything. I think that I'm always astonished by his intellect. You know, I really am. He's, he really has thought about absolutely everything, every little detail and none of it, you know, he does, he dismisses nothing. He has this astonishing capacity to kind of metabolize it all, you know, to make it feel like it's all happening and, and that you're a part of it. You know, he's not one of those directors who looks right through you. Like he's there looking at you, talking to you and laughing. I think his joyousness and his, his capacity to tell these really complicated stories and the empathy, the compassion he has for all of these people. You know, there are no, everything is absolutely sincere in, in his movies too, you know, there's no, there's no lack of humanity in them. And I think that that's, that's, that's one of the things that really makes me love him so much, that in, incredible mind of his, his incredible intellect and his enormous humanity. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful combination. So I'm always thinking, okay, yeah, you know, he's a, he's a guiding light for me. He's somebody I always look to and learn from. I think that's been my favorite response for people who have seen it are, are the people that say, 
you know, this stuck with me. Like, I'm still thinking about it. I'm still thinking of these little moments and these characters. I think that there isn't a big one element takeaway. If that's anything, it's just that everything is so complicated. There's like the ripples of that as an audience member, as Elizabeth trying to play this role, and even as just Joe himself who who lived this experience. It's really hard to get your grasp on, in quotes, like the truth. I hope that, that people, yeah, have conversations about like identity and celebrity and denial and tabloid culture. And I, I think there's, there's just a lot to talk about. May-December is an incredible balancing act. As Todd pulls focus from one character to the next, it becomes apparent that the film is less about the observation of others and more about the refusal to look at oneself. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with so many of the passionate and talented people who poured themselves into this film, many of them who I've admired and watched throughout the course of their career. If you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, I highly recommend heading over to Netflix, where it's available to stream. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Riccio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to Todd Haynes, Christine Vachon, Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, Charles Melton, and Sammy Birch for making this episode possible.